Hey, welcome everybody. It's great to see all of your smiling faces this morning. Uh, our online viewers too, great to have you with us. So glad that we can worship together. There are two great stories of deliverance that you find in the Bible. I mean, actually, there are lots of stories of deliverance, but there are two that kind of rise above all others. The first one we find in the second book of the Bible is called the book of Exodus because it's a story of the Exodus. It's the story of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt, uh, being delivered into ultimately to the promised land, but being delivered from slavery, from oppression, being delivered to a new life. And the second great story of deliverance is the story of Jesus coming to rescue the world from sin and darkness, to set the world free from the oppression and the bondage of slavery, of this dark world that we live in. And the first story of deliverance foreshadows the second story of deliverance. There, there are all these similarities between them. At the beginning of the, the Exodus story, actually before the Exodus story, we find Israel being led down into Egypt under, because of Joseph's dreams and, and him being taken into captivity and going down there and his family being drawn there. And it's in Egypt then that they've been rescued from a coming famine, saved the nation. And then what would follow is they would, in Egypt, become a great nation that God had promised his, um, their forefather Abraham generations before. They'd go down into Egypt. You remember at Jesus' birth, King Herod threatened um, and was uh, purposed to kill all the firstborn children to get rid of this coming king. And Joseph and Mary were instructed to go down into Egypt for safety. At the, um, the, as the Moses story unfolds, and he goes back now, he, he, went, he, he ran away for 40 years, and he's being led now back into Egypt to lead the captives um, from their bondage and oppression. There's these 10 plagues, and the 10th plague is that the firstborn son of every family is going to die as a sign to Pharaoh that God is king and he purposes to release his people from their bondage. And, and um, Pharaoh doesn't want to let go. And so he's had nine plagues to warn him, to, to call him off, and, and he won't relent. And so the 10th plague is um, the, this death of the firstborn son. And in that plague, the Israelites were um, instructed to take slaughter a lamb and put the blood over their doorpost. So as the death, um, God, the angel of the Lord came to, to slay the firstborn sons, that the, the, um, would, they would pass over, save the sons of the Israelites, the Passover. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first deliverance foreshadows the second. And then as they're delivered from bondage in Egypt, the Israelites are led through what they're, they're, through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. They pass through the waters to new life. Just as Jesus passed through the waters of baptism in his anointing, and, and we celebrate this baptism of going from death to life, from bondage to freedom. They would spend 40 years then in the, in the wilderness being tested by God, prepared for what lay ahead for them and God's divine purpose for their lives. And at the outset of his ministry, Jesus would go down, he, he would go out into the wilderness for 40 days and be tempted. 
that the Israelites were provided manna in the desert as a sign that they were wholly dependent upon God to be their provision, to provide for them, not like storing up for days or weeks or months, but just daily bread, food for the next day. And Jesus comes and he declares that I am the bread of life. That, that what God provided for Israel in the wilderness, this manna, I am your daily bread now, coming to rescue you, to provide for you. Jesus, in the Old Testament, they, God provided water from a rock. Jesus said, I am living water. And there are others too, but all these parallels from these two deliverance stories. And there's a trademark of these two great leaders. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now Moses, the leader of this first great deliverance, was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That the leader of the Exodus, this first great deliverance of God, was the most humble man on the planet at that point in time. And in Philippians chapter 2. Again, this is from, it's an early Christian hymn that Paul quotes in his letter to the church at Philippi. Jesus, the leader of the second great deliverance story, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The trademark of these two great leaders was not their great leadership ability. It wasn't their, their talent or their, their powerful force. It wasn't their charisma. It was their humility. The most humble man on the earth at that point in time, Moses. Jesus, God in human flesh, humbled himself, became a servant. We continue this week in our Following Jesus Together series. And the, the series is based on this idea that, that growth is a normal thing. For a healthy, healthy living organism, that growth is something that we expect to see happen. happen. If we have a, a little child and, and, they're, and they're not growing at, at a rate that's normal for that child's age, and we're like, what's going on? What's happening here? Is there something that needs to be treated? Is there something that be, needs to be care, taken care of? And then our spiritual life, too, is something that we should anticipate, that we should see growth in. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. So, so Christ himself, I'm sorry, from, to the church at Ephesus. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that, so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ growing up as followers of Jesus, growing up as his children, becoming mature to, to the measure of fullness of Christ, becoming like Christ. It's a process that we call discipleship. From, from the word that Jesus used to describe those that he called to follow him, disciples. 
It, it's a, it means to discipline your life, to pattern your life after your master. So if we're meant to grow in our spiritual life, to, to become mature, how do we grow and how do we know if we're growing? Jesus says, love others the way that I have loved you. Are we loving more like Jesus? Paul describes the character of Christ that we would expect them to see in us as we become like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Loving Jesus is the measure of our growth. But loving Jesus requires living like Jesus. Loving Jesus requires living like Jesus. If Jesus is only showing us what it means to live in this world as the Son of God in complete surrender to God, that really would not be much help to us, would it? It's like, okay, this is the way Jesus lived, and I want you to live this way, but he was the Son of God and you're not. Good luck with that. But again, we looked at this Philippians 2 passage that Jesus wasn't showing us how to live as human beings as the Son of God, but to live as human beings fully surrendered to God. That's what Jesus said. He fully surrendered himself to God so that we might look at his life and see what it looks like for a human being to live in full surrender. Not the Son of God to live in full surrender, but for a human being to live in full surrender to God. Which means that the things that Jesus did that allow him to live the life that he lived and to love the life the way that he loved are things that are now available to us as we do the things that Jesus did. And so through our series, we're looking at these seven spiritual markers. That are, they're all things that Jesus did that allowed him to live the way that he lived and to love the way that he loved. Even though he had given up his divine ability to do it. So the first week we looked at Bible engagement, learning to, to know and love and follow the teaching of Scripture. The second week at passionate prayer, increasing our ability to communicate, to speak with God, to hear from God, to walk with God moment by moment, day by day. And then the third week, last week, we looked at wholehearted worship, developing hearts and lips and lives that celebrate the glory of God and declare his worthiness of our praise, of our gratitude, of our thanksgiving. This morning, we come to humble service, following Moses, following Jesus, in living out and extending acts of kindness in his name. Jesus, the, the true triune God, even before Jesus became a man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed eternally in humility. The first person of the Trinity, the Father. Jesus says, the Father 
does not glorify himself. That the Father glorifies the Son. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. The Father glorifies the Son. And the Son glorifies not himself, but the Father. John 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And the Spirit, too, never seeks glory for himself, but gives glory to the others. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, because, he, it, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Trinity, living in humility, even amongst itself in its unity. Erwin McManus wrote a great chapter on humility. I'm going to quote him a couple times this morning in his book called The Uprising. He says, that God is more powerful than all of us isn't surprising to discover, right? I hope he's more powerful than me, and I kind of hope he's more powerful than you. That's not, that's not shocking news. That God in his infinite, infinite wisdom knows more than all of us is a no-brainer. Again, I hope he knows more than me. But that God is also, in all of his power and knowledge and wonder, is more humble than any of us, is virtually beyond comprehension. Right? The only being in the universe that doesn't have cause to be humble is the most humble being in the universe. And Jesus embodied this humility during his life. Think about his birth story. He wasn't born to nobility. He was born to a virgin, which is, I mean, like in that day is beyond comprehension for what, a, what an embarrassment and what a shame that would have been for her. And, and a carpenter. And at his entry into the world, right, the Son of God becomes a human being, and the angels go out to tell who. The, the, the notice goes out to shepherds in a field. The lowest, lowest people on the planet, vocationally. It went out to nobodies. Jesus was raised as a carpenter. That his origins, that he came in humility, that he lived in humility. That during his life, he kept humble company. He, he hung out with people of questionable character, which made people question his character. He hung out with people who, who didn't have influence, who didn't have connections, who didn't have resources to advance his cause. When he chose his disciples, he didn't go and find the religious leaders of the day. He didn't go find people of power and influence. He chose fishermen. Again, bottom rung of the socioeconomic status. Tax collectors, despised and hated. 
nobodies. He lived in humility. And Jesus modeled humble service throughout his life. It wasn't an act. Like, I'm going I'm to show you what humility looks like, but I'm not really humble. And it, it wasn't a means to an end. I'm going to be humble so that I can accomplish this thing, but really, I'm great. It is his identity. If you're in one of our small groups, you'll, you'll come across this passage this week, John chapter 13, the story of the foot washing. Jesus says, um, in John chapter 13, writes, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Right? He knew that he had all authority, that God had given his power. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going to. He knew who he was. He knew where he was from, and he knew where he was going. Jesus knew his identity, and his identity, it says, because of that, because of his identity, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with the towel that was wrapped around him. Like now he's acting beneath the rung of even the shepherds and the fishermen, but as a slave, as a servant in a home. Jesus came in humility because he is God and God is humble. And Jesus taught humble service. He goes on from that path in that story. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do for others what I have done for you. Now I'm, um, I, I try my best not to should on people because we get should on all the time. But when Jesus says you should, I have no choice but to say you should, because Jesus said you should. Just as I wash your feet, you should take this position of humility before others and love others the way that I loved you, not in power and authority and lording it over, but, but in humble acts of service. Jesus taught humble service. And he also said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and is given light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Jesus came as the light of the world. He imparted his light to his people. And now by his spirit, those who are filled and walk in a relationship with God through the spirit because of Jesus are now the light of the world. Of all the avenues that we have available to us to witness God's glory from ground level, Humble service leads the way.
we live in a world that is plagued with darkness and unkindness and pride and arrogance and oppression. We encounter it everywhere we go. We see it every day. And light shines in darkness. A bunch of years ago, we went to Merrimack Caverns in, I think it's in Missouri, and we went into the caves, and we went, they took us down deep into this big cavernous room, and, and it's all lit up, lit it up, yeah, lit up. Um, and, and they sat us down in this kind of arena area with, in seats, and they turned all the lights off. It was the darkest dark I have ever seen. And they had one person in that deep, dark room turn on the light on their watch. And that one little light, you cannot believe in that deep darkness how much light that little light shined in that room. Light shines in darkness. And Jesus says in this passage that good deeds open doors. Good deeds. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? And tell you what a great person you are? Now that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds open doors for us to bring glory to God. And Peter says, as you do these good deeds, always be prepared to give a reason to everyone who asks for the hope that you have. But do so with gentleness and respect. To do good deeds honors God in humble service. And to give glory to God in the things that we do redirects the glory from us to our Heavenly Father who gives us everything that we have to do anything good in the world because his light shines on us to bring that light to the world. Motives matter. Jesus has told his disciples, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. I've read this passage a bunch of times throughout the course of my life, and I've always kind of had this, this mindset, hey, I want to be great. I want to be great. And if I have to be great to be a servant, then I need to become servant so I can become great. My goal is what? It's not service. It's greatness. Is that humble? I love what Irwin McManus says. He says, we do not pursue humility to achieve greatness. We pursue the greatness of humility. That God is great and God is humble. That humility in and of itself is greatness. Not because it makes us great, because it is greatness. Paul, at the beginning of that passage in Philippians chapter 2, 
says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. For your, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus emptied himself of his godness, God abilities. He, he, he poured out and gave up his ability to use his divine attributes to accomplish what he did. He did it in humble service to God. So he, he, he set aside his real godness. And, and Paul says, and for us then to walk in humility, then we're going to have to set aside our presumptuous godness, right? Our vain vanity, our selfishness, our conceit, our notion that we can control the world are the things that we have to set aside so that we can live in that same posture of Jesus to love others in his name. Leon Spinks, boxer, said, opportunity knocks only once. Like when you have an opportunity, you better take advantage of it. You only get one chance. And I want to say opportunities to serve are beating down your door every single day. Opportunities abound to grow in Christ, to love like Christ to offer the presence of Christ to others, to give glory to God. Opportunities abound because the world is dark and we have light. Humble service. Jesus says, you should do this. Serve with your treasures. You are stewards. We are stewards. We are not owners. Everything we have has been entrusted to us to be used for the kingdom of God. Serve with your treasures. Serve with your talents. They are for you. They are for others, not for you. If you have an ability, you have a talent, you can be sure that God wants you to use that to bring help, to bring hope to other people. Serve with your time. It is your most precious commodity. It is the greatest gift that we have to give to another person, our time, right? You can work extra hours and make more money. You can pick up an extra job and make more money. You cannot work extra hours and get more than 24 hours in a day. Every day, that's all you get. When we give that away, we are giving people what matters most to our presence in this world. Serve where you are, geographically and in time. So lots of times in my life, it's like, when I get to this point, when I arrive there, when I get here, then I will do this or I will do that. Serve where we are. Not where we want to be, not where we think we should be, not where we're going to be. Serve where we are with the opportunities that are presented to us where we are. and serve for the long haul. The story that you find in the Bible is moving towards a climax. 
in the return of Jesus. We don't know the day or the hour. We know what's going to happen, and we know it's closer than we, than it, today than it was yesterday and last week and last month. It's coming. And the f- story that you find as that day approaches is that things are going to get harder, not easier. And so Jesus gives us this warning. It's going to be hard sometimes. Do not grow weary. Do not get tired of your service. Keep pushing through in humble service to others. One final quote from from Erwin McManus. Obscurity has never stopped God from accomplishing great things. You do not need to be somebody great for God to accomplish something great through you. Obscurity has never stopped God. Our position has never been his limitations. Where we're at, it does not limit him. Only our pride can leave us empty. When we are prideful, we become hard-hearted and stiff-necked. Did you know that um, you can corral llamas with a single rope that's about neck high? like a whole herd of almonds with a single rope because they will not bow their heads to go under the rope to escape to freedom. It's pride. When we humble ourselves, when we bow our head to be freed from our bondage and oppression to the things that we think make us matter and humble ourselves before God and walk and live in his freedom. Humility gives us the mobility to adapt to whatever circumstances we are placed in. Humility makes it possible for us to live and love and serve wherever our position. Because we're open to receive what God has for us, will give to us to walk and live in love in that place. Humble service. It's a path to growing into a deeper and intimate relationship with our humble God. Lord, I pray that as we continue to walk through this series together, that you would um, continue to give us tools and resources and speak to our hearts and to our minds. Write things inside of us and fill us with your spirit to walk and live in those things that will lead us into a deeper fullness of your love, of your life. And allow us to be your light in the world. To bring light into a broken world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.